this weekend, there will be over 120 million Americans that celebrate Easter by attending a service just like we are today. If you consider the entire world, there will be over a billion people all celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. How is it that something that happened 2,000 years ago is able to move this many people together? I saw a statistic this, statistic this week that LifeWay Research published, and it is that 66% of American adults, two-thirds of American adults, believe in the biblical accounts of the physical resurrection of Jesus. They believe, two-thirds of American adults, believe that the resurrection of Jesus happened. And as a pastor, I am both hopeful but also heartbroken by this. You see, on one hand, I'm hopeful because there are that many people that recognize the authenticity of the person Jesus and his bodily resurrection especially in a time where so much information is available at our fingertips. And all of us need to come to grips and recognize and believe today that Jesus was a real man. He was a real person who walked this earth, who died on a cross and came out of that grave and lived again. However, I am also heartbroken because there seems to be a gap. There is some type of disconnect in what people believe about Jesus and the actual impact that he has on their life. You see, the power of Easter, the power of the resurrection of Jesus is not simply meant to just change the way we think. It's not just a list of doctrines or beliefs. The power of the resurrection of Jesus, the power of Easter should show up in how we live on a daily basis. People should look at the relationships in your life. They should look at how you do your job. They should look at the relationship with your kids and your marriage and see the power of the resurrection. The story of Easter, you see, is a story of victory. It's a story of redemption. It's a re- it's a story of how those were once those who were once on a road headed toward defeat are now on a path leading towards victory. Victory that isn't just a future victory, but it's a victory that is possible and can happen right now. That is why Easter matters. That is why we have gathered today. So heavenly Father, with that We need your spirit to come today. People do not need to hear from Alan. They need to hear from you. As the vessel you have chosen today to speak, though, I ask that you would anoint my lips, that you would remove any distractions that would be in the room or in our thoughts and minds. Let people see, let people experience your resurrection power today. In the name of Jesus, everyone said... Now, I'm going to warn you right off the bat that this is not going to be your typical Easter message. We are going to look in the Bible at some passages that aren't typically associated with Easter. With that, we are going to look at Jesus as the lion 
of Judah, the one whom we just sang about. Now, there are many names for Jesus in the Bible. The Lion of the tribe of Judah or the Lion of Judah is one of those. And that phrase, Lion of Judah, comes from the book of Revelation. Everybody say Revelation. Revelation. There's no S, by the way, at the end of Revelation. Just want to make sure we're accurate on that. And without going into detail, the passage that we're going to look about, the author of that book, that letter that was written to churches, he was a prophet by the name of John. And the book of Revelation is his vision or dreams of what he sees. And with that, at one point, he sees this scroll that has seven seals on it. And an angel asks, who is worthy or who is able to open this scroll that is sealed? John begins weeping because there was no one worthy or able to open it. And then he writes this. One of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne. He is the one that has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seals. So that's where we get the the phrase or the name lion of the tribe of Judah. So John hears from one of these elders, well, there is one who is able to open the scroll, and it's one who has brought the victory, and it's a lion, a lion from a tribe named Judah. So John turns expecting to see a lion, but instead of seeing a lion, he sees what? He sees a lamb. A lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it now was standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. Now, we recognize that the lamb he saw represents Jesus, the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of humanity on the cross. But where does this title, Lion of the tribe of Judah or Lion of Judah, come from? What does it mean and what on earth does it have to do with Easter, you may ask? Well, to understand Jesus as the Lion of Judah, we have to know the story of Judah himself. So that's what I'm going to share with you. It's, it's too long to look at all of the text. You can read later, go to the book of Genesis, and there's a long story, and it's tucked into the story of Joseph. But to begin, Judah is the name of a real person in the Bible. Now, my guess is, whether you attend church regularly or you know your Bible at all or not, you know the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. You with me on that? How many of you heard of Joseph and the coat of many colors? Most of you have. So Judah was a brother of that Joseph. And you know the story, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. But to talk about Judah, Judah was not a good guy. He was not a good brother. If they wrote a movie about Judah or they did a TV series, Judah would be like Darth Vader, Thanos, Voldemort, Walter White. Some of you are trying to figure out who those people are. Let me just say, he was the villain. Judah was not a good man. Okay, so let me give you some context. Joseph and Judah came from one jacked up family. I mean, you think your family has problems? You think your family is dysfunctional? By the end of this message, when you have lunch this afternoon, you're going to feel really good about your family. (laughs) Judah and Joseph came. Let me tell you about their dad. Their dad had 12 kids from four different women. Okay? He had two wives at the same time. 
His first wife, whose name was Leah, her fourth son was Judah. Make note of that. His second wife, which the Bible tells us was his favorite wife, by the way, had two boys. One was with Joseph, one was Benjamin. And those were the favorite boys of Jacob. The other children were had by two concubines. Now, you know the story of Joseph. Dad, Jacob, sends Joseph off with a coat of many colors. His brothers are jealous. They see Joseph coming, and they're like, we want to take our brother out. We're tired. Um, He gets everything. Dad loves him more than everything else, so let's kill Joseph. But instead of killing him, they decide to sell him, and they throw him in an empty well. Now, what you may not know or may not remember that it's Judah, it's his brother Judah, is the one that came up with the idea to sell Joseph into slavery. Let me show you what I mean. It was Judah who said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. So instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. Now, you could make the argument that the more merciful or the more gracious thing to do would have been to kill Joseph. But Judah says, no, let's make a profit off our brother and let's sell him into slavery. So it's because of Judah that Joseph is sold into slavery and he would end up spending the next 13 years of his life in an Egyptian prison. Now, if you, again, if you go to the book of Genesis and you're reading the story of Joseph, we're going to hit pause on Joseph's story for a minute. Tucked in there, I believe it's chapter 38, there is a chapter that gives us a little insight. He's the only brother of Joseph that the Bible does this. He tells us a little bit about what is happening in Judah's family and in Judah's life while Joseph is in prison. So let me explain. Judah ends up marrying a not-so-good girl. And here's what I mean by that. Judah was raised to be a good Hebrew boy. And at the time, it's hard for us to understand in the 21st century in this culture. But in that culture, he would have been expected to marry another Hebrew girl. A good girl that believed the same things, looked the same way, and had the same faith. But Judah doesn't do that. In fact, he marries a Canaanite woman, which is like an enemy. Now, the easiest way that I can explain this, because, again, it's really hard for us, is imagine if your son or daughter married a Baltimore Ravens fan. Okay? Imagine that only a hundred times worse. And I apologize if you're here today from Baltimore. But he marries the wrong woman. He marries someone that was an enemy of his people. Now, he has three sons, and, and he wasn't a very good dad. In fact, in so his, his two oldest boys were really evil in the Lord's sight. And he ends up losing his boys. They both die. Now, one of the daughter-in-laws that was married to those boys, she's going to come into the picture in just a little bit. Her name was Tamar. He sends her away back home after her husband dies. Now, Judah eventually becomes a widow himself. His wife dies. And then years later, after his wife dies, he and a buddy head out of town on a business trip where he makes an extremely bad decision thinking that he was hiring a random prostitute he ends up hiring and having sex with his daughter-in-law named Tamar I told you this was an Easter message like you've never heard before (laughs) let me show you what I mean Judah is out of town with a buddy on a business trip 
he notices her and he thought she was a prostitute since she had covered her face. So he stops and he propositions her. And this is what Judah says. Let me have sex with you, he said, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. Now here's the irony of all this. Judah does not have money to pay her. So he says to her, I tell you what, let's have sex, and then when I go home, I will send you payment. I mean, I'm telling you, he's not a good guy. So she says, no, that's not going to work for me. I need some insurance. Now, I won't go into all the biblical details, but basically she says, I need your ID, and I'm going to hold it till I get paid. So he gives her his driver's license, which was not a driver's license, but you get the, you get the idea. And here's what happens. They have sex, and then three months later, okay, he's back home. Three months later, family and friends come and say, Judah, you're not going to believe what happened. Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has acted like a prostitute, and she is pregnant. And you know what Judah's response is? You have got to be kidding me. She is pregnant. I want you to bring her to me right now, and we are going to burn her. True story. It's in the Bible. That is his response. I told you, he is a villain. He's not a good guy. What a hypocrite. But then here's where everything changes. Judah's heart all of a sudden begins to change. Because guess what Tamar does? She pulls out, oh, Judah, I have something that might belong to you. How on earth did she get Judah's ID? And all of a sudden, he's confronted. And then the Bible says this, that Judah recognized them immediately, speaking about his ID. And he said, she is more righteous than I am. No, duh. Now, here's the thing for us today. This was true of Judah, and it's true for all of us in this room. Repentance is more than just feeling bad after you get caught. Feeling sorry that you got caught is not repentance. Repentance, true repentance, involves a change of our heart which leads to change in behavior. What we are going to see is that this happens within Judah. Let's go back to the story of Joseph. And let's fast forward 22 years later. 22 years after being betrayed by Judah and his brothers. Eventually, they would all reunite. Joseph is now the second most powerful man in all of Egypt behind Pharaoh. His brothers and his family have experienced famine in Israel. And so they have got to go to Egypt to get food. Unbeknownst to them... They don't recognize their brother. They're standing in front of their brother asking for food. Now Joseph knows that he has a younger brother named Benjamin who's not with them. And remember, Benjamin is now the favorite son of of Grandpa Jacob. Jacob thinks Joseph's dead, and so Benjamin is now the favorite. So through a whole lot of discussion, Joseph says, I will not give you any food until you bring me Benjamin, your youngest brother. So they go back to Jacob, and Jacob, of course, is approached by his boys, and they say, we need to bring Benjamin with us if we're going to get food. And Jacob's like, no, I've already lost one son. I don't trust you with this one. But it's Judah, it's Judah, who speaks up to his dad and says this. He says, dad, I personally 
will guarantee Benjamin's safety. You may hold me responsible if I don't bring him back to you. Then let me bear the blame forever. Already you're starting to see changes within Judah. The one who was quick to sell out the favorite brother is now saying, No, dad, I'll put my life on the line for Benjamin. So they take Benjamin. They go back and they stand before Joseph. And again, you can read the story later. But there's a cup that's hidden in Benjamin's bag. And Joseph really is testing his brothers to see if they're going to betray Benjamin the way that they betrayed him. And in the midst of doing that, Judah, in in some of the longest recorded dialogue, in the most beautiful reconciliation story in all of Genesis, Judah is the one who speaks up to Joseph. And Joseph was ready to, he said, I'm going to take Benjamin as my slave because you guys have lied to me. Judah says, no. Take me as a slave. Don't take my brother Benjamin. Do you see the change? All of a sudden, 22 years later, Judah is the one who's willing to put his life on the line. There was a change of heart in Judah. It's one of the most beautiful reconciliation stories in all of the Bible. But Judah's story is not done. But his past was one where he came from a jacked up and broken dysfunctional home. He betrayed his brother, sells him into slavery. He marries the wrong woman. He wasn't a good dad to his boys. He experienced death and mourning of his two boys and his wife. He engaged in prostitution with his daughter-in-law, no less. And then was hypocritical when he finds out she becomes pregnant. That was Judah's story. That was Judah's past, but you're going to see that is not Judah's future. We get to the connection now. What does this have to do with Easter? It has, it's all found in the 49th chapter of Genesis. In the final moments of Jacob's life, the dad, he brings his boys in front of him. I mean, imagine your dad moments away from dying and you're waiting on his final words. He goes one by one from oldest to youngest. And he starts with Reuben, who was the oldest, and then his second and third. He doesn't have good things to say about Reuben. Calls Reuben out. He doesn't have good things to say about his second son. He doesn't have good things to say about his third son. Now you get to Judah, the fourth son. Can you imagine what Judah was thinking? My dad laid into Reuben. He laid into my older two brothers. I know what I've done. Dad's going to lay into me. But in a change of events, this is what Jacob speaks and says over his son Judah. Judah, your brothers will praise you. What? You may remember Joseph had a dream. And in the dream, it was Joseph who said, God told him, your brothers will praise you. And they will bow down. And they did. But now Jacob is saying, Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. He continues on, Jacob does, and says, Judah, my son, he compares him to a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. Lions are associated with royalty. They have been all throughout history. And now the dad, Jacob, is associating this this man with a checkered past with royalty. And then Jacob moves from blessing to speaking prophecy over his son. And he says, the scepter will not depart from you, Judah. The scepter, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs. Guess who that one is that he's speaking of? 
Jesus. To whom he belongs, the one Jesus to whom all nations will honor. His tie, he, speaking of Jesus, ties his foal to a grapevine, the colt of his donkey, to a, choice, to a choice vine. He washes his clothes and wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. All of a sudden, this once bad villain, betrayer, liar, his dad prophesies over him and says, No, son, you are going to be blessed. Your descendants is going to be blessed, are going to be blessed. God is going to do something amazing. He is going to change your story. Your family tree is going to be changed forever. And do you know that some of the best kings that ever that Israel ever had came from Judah? King David came from Judah. King Solomon came from Judah. Hezekiah came from Judah. Uzziah, Zerubbabel, and eventually even King Jesus himself comes from what family lineage? Lineage comes from Judah. Here is the impact of Easter. Here is how Judah connects and why Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. That lion changes our story. That lion changes the name and the meaning of our life. He takes once what was we were headed towards evil and defeat and death. Now we're headed towards victory. The Apostle Paul, Paul writes these words. He says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus, the lion, came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of it all, Paul says. Jesus Christ, the lion, came to save sinners. There's a story... There's a story that was reported worldwide. BBC reported it, CNN, Fox News, all of them. In 2005, there was a 12-year-old girl that was abducted by four men, and she was beaten for a week. It happened in the southwest corner of Ethiopia. And she was abducted and beaten because one of those men wanted to steal her and make her their husband. And the story is that Three lions heard the cries of this 12-year-old girl. And these lions came and they scared away her abductors. And then amazingly, they sat surrounding her and protected her for half a day until Ethiopian police could come and rescue her. A wildlife expert said that the lions probably mistook her crying for the mewing of a young lion cub. Probably why they didn't mess with her or eat her. Now... As amazing as that story is, it is a beautiful picture. It pales in comparison to the Lion of Judah who comes and saves us from our past, our abductors, our story. The Lion of Judah comes and he rescues us. And in that, our names changed. Our story is rewritten.